0: Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending. With real-time notifications, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: Hey, Strangeville listeners, Will Johnson here. This is the last episode of the first season of Strangeville. Thanks so much for listening. If you have ideas for a future episode of Strangeville that you'd like us to consider covering, check out our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault. You can reach out to us there. Also on Twitter at twitter.com slash vault studios. A word of warning to our Strangeville listeners. This episode may contain mature subject matter and adult language.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Imagine this. You're on a plane, seat reclined just enough to feel comfortable. Maybe enjoying your tomato juice, watching a movie, or nodding off. When you notice something isn't right. Voices down the aisle, toward the front of the plane. Angry voices, getting louder. And then you hear this. We'd like all strong males to the front of the airport to handle the problem passenger." Ladies and gentlemen, the aisle should
0: be completely clear at this time.
1: What would you do? Now I'm holding him on the ground and he's kicking, someone's grabbing his feet. And how the heck did it even get to this point? Sit down.
3: Sit down. No, you don't put your hands on my button! I mean, yeah, we shouldn't punch anybody at a bar or punch anybody on the street, right? <laughs> I think just because you're flying doesn't mean there are no rules.
2: <laughs> I can't help it. When I'm on a plane, you know, it just brings out the worst in me. I can only imagine
3: being a passenger on that flight and being worried that, oh gosh, my flight is going to go viral. It's going to end up on the front page of Reddit. It's going to be shared a million times on Twitter. And I would have anxiety about that.
1: So let's talk about it. What's happening in the air? Does something happen to our brains when we step on a plane? For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. Welcome to Strangeville. No doubt you are aware that things have gotten a little... Weird in the air.
4: What we've done the flight attendance is entire flight. We've been in this delay with the guys just like you. We have not eaten also. We've been delayed here. We've catered to you the entire flight and right. I, we do it because we love this job. That's right. But the fact that we get insulted and mistreated by passengers over things that we cannot control, it is disgusting. We're just gonna go to Charlotte because we do not wanna escalate this, but shame on the passengers who have made this flight a living hell for the flight
1: attendant. You could say it's gotten just kind of bonkers. The FAA says it's handed out a million dollars in passenger fines this year. Most of those incidents involving passengers who refused to comply with the federal mask mandate. A
3: national survey of nearly 5,000 flight attendants revealed 85% of them had dealt with an unruly passenger in the first half of 2021, with nearly one in five of them experiencing a physical assault.
0: This is pervasive. This is really an epidemic at this point. Many flight attendants are reporting ruder passengers, in-flight
4: disturbances on the uptick, and even threats to their safety.
5: I don't know. It just seems like we have a very jacked-up society with... Zero impulse control. It's a very scary place. And that tube flying, you know, through the air, 40,000 feet. And, you know, people just are, sorry, they're just batshipped.
1: The number one issue, you got it, masks.
5: No, I won't wear a mask. That's why I have my vaccination card. I believe it's an infringement on my civil liberties to have to block my breathing and put me into a very uncomfortable situation that
1: triggers a panic attack. Then you throw in alcohol and the stress of the COVID pandemic. Well, you've got a stressed out society. Police say a 26-year-old passenger who appeared to be
6: intoxicated was disruptive and had to be restrained. One passenger says the unruly person had been, quote, threatening the flight attendant and making finger guns and being
1: belligerent. But the people on the front lines, the ones who have to keep us all in line and enforce the rules when we act out, are the flight attendants. These people are,
5: are just trying to make a living and they're not here as your to be your punching bag. They're here to help you and, and get you to where you're going safely and, and make sure you got a snack or two on the way.
3: The whole concept of flight attendants, it's just like they we cannot fly without them, and they are there to protect us and to make sure that everything is right. And they know so much more that, than we do. And yet they also are in charge of like kind of catering to our every need. Like I'm thirsty, bring me a water is also a part of their job. And I think there's a, a nasty part of humanity where we think like just because this person is available to my every need and is going to bring me snacks and water, like I can treat them like that a certain way.
1: Sharon Yu is a reporter at Care 11 in Minneapolis. She recently took a close look at how we're treating flight attendants.
3: You can see blood from the flight attendant's face um, when she pulls her mask down. And I think she's kind of like, I don't know if she has like her teeth in her hand, but I know she lost uh, two teeth from that encounter. So it's just kind of
1: Shocking. And her research included taking a close look at that recent Southwest incident you might have heard about.
3: The flight attendant had asked the passenger to put on a mask properly, so to cover her entire face. And I'm assuming that the passenger uh, declined or refused to, and then it just kind of escalated from there.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sit down! Don't you dare! Don't you dare! Oh, don't, you
5: right don't you dare oh, treat right a oh, flight attendant oh, like this! Uh,
3: you you People are throwing hands and it's just kind of uh, it happens so quickly. And then a gentleman stops uh, the fight, kind of breaks it up. And it's just like you can't hit a flight attendant, which is something that <laughs> I think kind of goes without saying you really shouldn't be throwing punches at strangers anywhere, whether it's a metal tube in the air or out on the sidewalk. It's something that we probably shouldn't be doing but uh the gentleman stepped in and was like you guys need to stop other people you can kind of hear them saying like you know she started at first she started at first um but then again it's just one of those weird things about these social media videos is that it's such a small slice of what had happened and it captures like such an intense moment in such a short amount of time that we don't always know 100 percent of what had happened but the video itself is Quite appalling. In a statement, the Association of Flight Attendants called the combative attitude of overwearing masks exhausting, writing that we are bearing the brunt of this every day at work. I don't know, I think it's a people thing, too. I mean, honestly, if you are asked to wear a mask and you want to punch someone, something's wrong with you.
1: If that's your first reaction. If, right, yeah, violence? I know, people are treating people worse than ever, I feel, these days. It's so strange. Look, if you're thinking about taking your anger and frustration out on a flight attendant... Just please don't.
3: Maltreatment of flight attendants has always been kind of a thing. And now that the pandemic, now that our pandemic brain is back in full activation, like we just like don't know how to behave anymore. And all of those nasty habits or biases that we had prior to the pandemic, uh, I guess they're just coming out in full force and we're just animals. (laughs)
1: animals. Interesting. I mean, it seems to me this entire discussion just puts a microscope on who we are and how we react. How much we can take. The pandemic left a lot of us beaten down, tired, ornery. And then you find yourself on a plane.
3: I mean, traveling is very s- stressful. I don't think I don't think I'm kind of out of line in saying that because, you know, by the time you get into a plane, you have already taken multiple methods of transportation to get there Um, timing is very important Um, people already have general anxiety about travel um, about flying and then on top of that you're trying to keep track of time if you've got kids you're trying to take care of your kids Um, did you pack everything Um, are we going to make it there on time all of that you want it to go right so i think it is already a very uh, stressful situation and then you get there and I don't know about you, but you're surrounded by strangers and crowds, and on top of that, uh, virus <laughs> coronavirus is happening, and you don't know if you can trust other folks to have done their due diligence to be vaccinated, and you know do their best to keep their masks on over their nose. And so I think it's just like this pressure cooker of emotions and expectations that. M- that are misaligned i think and so it just creates this awful tension
1: i mean this job has to be stressful right and it's sort of astonishing to consider all the ways we're making their lives miserable
2: there is new information about the passengers arrested for performing a sex act on a flight bound for detroit the incident happened October 29th on a Delta flight that took off from Los Angeles. Our partner, the Detroit Free Press, obtained the police report. The passengers tried to hide their activity with a blanket while another man was sleeping in the same row next to them. According to police, the 48-year-old woman was, quote, highly intoxicated. Both she and her partner received citations from the FBI for lewd and lascivious behavior.
0: Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy?
1: Maybe there's something else going on up there, above and beyond the masks and the booze and the pandemic stress. Something about flying that makes, some of us at least, act out. For some people, that might mean anger and hostility. For others, it might mean feeling more emotional.
2: I I don't know why. I was watching a comedy and I started to cry. I was watching a mystery and I started to laugh. And a lot of that is also attributed because it's not only, we have to think of the body as a whole. It's also the brain chemistry changes.
1: But hang on, before we get to that, let's take a few minutes to think back a few years or a few decades back to when flying seemed different, when you didn't hear about yet another unruly passenger every week.
5: I'm so grateful I flew during the decades, that it was just like I call them the halcyon days. It was just the best career and we had so much fun.
1: This is Dinah Baron Hess. She started as a flight attendant back in 1972 and then spent more than three decades working for United. She loved her job so much, she eventually wrote a book about her career called Flyby, A Life Aloft.
5: It's mostly uh, just recollections and great stories. I had, an, a, I think, a particularly rich experience. I met a lot of amazing people, and, but mostly it was to my job and to my colleagues.
1: And things were different back then when Dinah first started flying. For one, there were a lot fewer unruly passengers. But there were other not so positive aspects to those years.
5: We were trained traditionally. Obviously, we had to have appearance check, weight check, which is a big deal because we um, had to weigh in. I think I think it was for about the first ten years of my career, we had to weigh in once a month uh, to meet our what was considered our you know maximum, and that was a little bit archaic for me. I was five five. I couldn't weigh more than one hundred and twenty five pounds. With my uniform on, I would always go on a crash diet to because if you weighed three pounds under your maximum, then you only had to weigh in every other month.
1: But some things were changing and for the better.
5: We could be married, uh, which prior to that, a couple of years prior to that, you couldn't. Um, you could get pregnant. Um, so that was, you know, the, the, it was a little bit more of a liberated time. You know, kind of keeping up with the 70s.
1: She says back then and throughout her career, she felt like the flight crew and passengers, for the most part, were on the same side.
5: I've seen wonderful, helpful things from passengers in my flying career. You know, and uh, I was thinking about this emergency landing. We were going from New York to L.A., and we had a lady that went to a cardiac arrest. Long story short, we had to land in Kansas City. So we had to be playing 300 New Yorkers <laughs> and find hotels for them. And they, they, I mean, they're New Yorkers, and they were fine. They were great because they knew what had happened. And, you know, it, it just was so heartwarming to know that people, that was a major inconvenience. These people had to spend the night in these some of them doubled up with people they didn't know. They couldn't, we couldn't unload their bags. They only had their carry-ons. We had to find them toothpaste, toothbrushes. And yet, when they all showed up the next morning for the next flight, and most, a lot of them missed connections in L.A., all they wanted to know is how the woman
1: was. Sounds different. I mean, can you imagine those passengers today, after a night like that? Dinah did have a few run-ins, though, with unruly passengers over the years.
5: I remember somewhere in the 70s, I think we were all... (laughs) We used to have a flight from the l 19 called the Noon Balloon because it left at 12 and it was 747 and it was always kind of a circus, (laughs) a lot of interesting people. And there was a guy who, when we handed out knives, we remember those days where you could cut your meat, but he threatened this woman next to him with his knife, And... um, we didn't have anything to tie him up with in those days, but we, uh, I remember this because I was the extra on the flight, and I got assigned to watch him. So uh, we moved him up to the upstairs lounge on the 747, and I had to sit with him the whole flight and talked to him, which was bizarre, but, you know, it was, just, it was the only way we could handle things.
1: But in over three decades, Dinah recalls only one time where a flight attendant was physically harmed by a passenger
5: where a guy went to the back and he wanted a drink and the flight attendant um, said we'd close the bar and he insisted and he got so mad. I don't know if you remember those magazine racks where the thing flies up and down, the middle thing. Anyway, he yanked that thing out of the wall and hit her.
1: And then as her flying years were winding down, she lived through the incredible tragedy of 9-11. She lost colleagues and mourned what happened that day but she saw something else too.
5: You know, the thing that's interesting to me is right after 9-11, it was such a great change in passengers because of, you know, obviously Flight 93 and how those people banded together and everybody started kind of taking ownership of, of, you know, their own responsibility on the airplane, their own safety, and passengers became almost like extended crew for us. And they, you know, would not put up with stuff from people.
1: That's not what she sees today.
5: Everybody thinks they have a right to fly because they buy a ticket. They don't. Okay? So, um, you know, it's just like a restaurant. You have the right to refuse service, okay? And so, we need to keep those people off the airplane somehow because they really are making the flight crew's life a living hell. I don't know. I just don't think I, I would be happy working on an airplane right now because you know, it's it's just like a battle, and it shouldn't be.
1: And the idea that passengers are fighting back because they're told to do something they might not like...
5: Well, guess what? We always told you what to do, <laughs> do <you> remember? <laughs> we always told you to bring your seat back up and put your seatbelt low and tight and throw your bags under the seat in front of you. We always did that, okay? The only extra thing now is the mask. That's it. But you know what? The girls and guys are wearing masks, too. It's not like, you know... They're protecting you, too. Anyway, it's outrageous. I feel so sad about that.
1: Okay, we've waited long enough. Let's get into some science.
2: My name is Jody J. DeLuca, and I am a PhD in clinical psychology. I'm a doctor of clinical psychology. My fascination with the brain and behavior goes way back. And I'm also a person who climbs mountains and hikes and live at altitude. I live at over 5,600 feet above sea level. So just people in general acclimating when they first get to college, Colorado, or just reaching that summit of a mountain, or being in the air has always fascinated me because there is a myriad of different behavioral manifestations that go on, and the basis of most of my research happens to be an emotion. So human emotion, especially under the most menacious of circumstances, which altitude would be one has fascinated me forever.
1: Dr. DeLuca has taken a close look at the issue of unruly passengers. She wants to understand what happens to some people when that switch gets flipped, when they go from sitting peacefully in their seats, ready to get wherever they're going, and then something happens. It might be relatively minor, an annoyance that might be just that, an annoyance. But then, well, things go downhill.
2: It's actually, I mean, it's called air rage, is what it is. And it's when we cross that line, we lose it. We lose it and we engage in behavior that is less than socially appropriate, that many times can be quite dangerous.
1: In her practice, she's actually worked with clients who experienced some form of air rage.
2: When I asked them what was, you know, what led up to it, what could they think of anything, what the triggers were that might have set them off, where they actually got into verbal. Um, altercations with other passengers. And it happened to be very simple stuff, stuff that in retrospect, behaviors in retrospect normally would not have bothered them, like if somebody uh, pushed ahead of them.
1: In one case, she worked with a patient who was sitting on a flight and his seatmate started coughing.
2: I mean, we've all been there, right? And I mean, he had it out with the guy and he said, you shouldn't be riding on the plane. You're probably sick. You probably got the darn virus. And it just escalated to the point where staff had to, they gave him an option and he was very embarrassed. Uh, He was later interviewed from what I recall. Um, But normally he would, and he said, he said, I couldn't really trigger it except with everything that he had. A lot of stress going on, but it was him not being able to regulate his emotion and lashing out without even thinking of the consequences that could have ensued from that behavior.
1: And then there was her patient who just couldn't quite deal with a crying child.
2: In this case, it was a mother who was behind my patient with a child who was crying the whole time, and he went off on that, and he felt very bad of it bad about it. He's a father himself. But what what at that moment you can't take back a reaction, but the events leading up to that plane ride. Things were stressful. He was a little bit overweight, so wearing a mask was something that made it harder for him to breathe. Having a baby screaming behind him and while he's having trouble breathing and being encroached in a very small area as he was a larger person led to, he was like, I just couldn't take it anymore.
1: Coughing seatmates, crying children... These things happen all the time.
2: Well, I've been there myself where and as a healthcare worker, I don't want you in the back of me when I'm on a window seat and you're right behind me and you know, you're you're coughing up a lung and you're seizing all over and I have to say to the stewardess, "You need to move me right now because I have a responsibility to people every day when I get back and this individual should be wearing a mask." This was over Uh, this was pre pandemic. It was on an international flight. And I said to her, I said, for the safety of the plane and yourselves, this individual needs to be contained because it was very obvious to me, I'm not a medical doctor, but it was very obvious to me that he had a full blown flu going on and he had body fluids going everywhere. And I said to her, I said, I will be the one to move but you need to be aware of this. And he probably should be wearing a mask to protect the rest of us. So, yeah, but it was very disturbing to me and I felt I had to say something. Now, you know, maybe not, but I felt I had to.
1: Okay, so you might say something in a case like that. Talk to a flight attendant, offer to move, but that's a reasonable reaction. What about when someone is unreasonable, when a passenger just can't take it anymore? What is it about flying that can make some people snap. now to a takedown at 30,000 feet. Travelers back home in Houston after they say a woman tried to open the plane's emergency door mid-flight. A passenger says she even wrote the words, help me, on her beverage napkins. But things didn't really get bad until toward the latter part of the flight when he says she tried to open one of the emergency doors near the back of the plane.
2: There's lots of theories about what causes different emotions and behaviors in the air, but I'm gonna tell you that it's never any one factor that contributes to how we act and interact with the world, and especially from an emotional perspective. And I think we see that in action in the air. Uh, more now than ever. But we also see it on the ground. But particularly in the air, there's no way out.
1: No way out. Sounds ominous. But when you put it like that, maybe it starts to make sense. When you're sitting on a plane, you just can't really control much of anything. You can watch a different movie, pick up a book, stare out the window, but that's about it. Someone else is in complete control of your day, your trip, even your life. Maybe something else is happening when you're inside a plane and tens of thousands of feet in the air. Something else that's messing with your brain and your emotions.
6: Good news is that when traveling in 35,000 feet or higher, an aircraft has a pressure cabin. So the air pressure and the atmosphere inside the airplane are equivalent to an altitude of approximately... 6,000 to 8,000 feet. So this is, let's say, comparable to a normal mountain.
1: That's Dr. Jochen Hinkelbein. He's vice president of the German Society of Aerospace Medicine and chairman of the Space Medicine Group of the European Society of Aerospace Medicine. Or just super smart German scientist guy. He's also a professor of anesthesiology, has his own clinical practice and has his own private pilot's
6: license. Outside the aircraft, The atmosphere is quite hostile because it's very cold and very, very low air pressure. In the aircraft, when flying on board, uh, there is only a small amount of hypoxia which affects the human body. So usually normal people have oxygen saturation of approximately 96 to 98%. This is absolutely normal. When flying on board an airplane, it's lower. It's approximately 90 to 94 percent. And this explains several uh, reasons or factors which may affect the person on board.
1: Okay, so just to make sure we're all following this, your oxygen saturation level can be a bit lower when you're flying.
6: When you are on board an aircraft in a cabin pressure altitude of approximately 6,000 to 8,000 feet, Uh, you do not have a significant hypoxia, but a very slight hypoxia. And usually you're becoming a little bit tired or, let's say, more relaxed. But as a healthy traveler, you do not um, expect significant problems.
1: So nothing alarming there. In fact, it sounds kind of pleasant. It doesn't really explain why some people freak out on a plane or start crying at the drop of a hat.
6: You all know if you're traveling from one place to another place, sitting in an airplane, you're a little bit tired, you're looking uh, at the screen, for example, watching a film, uh, and you can become significantly more emotional. But to my experience, this does not only depend on hypoxia and the surrounding, or the, the, the pressure and hypoxia. It's more the complete environment. Yeah, You're traveling from one place to another, perhaps visiting some relatives. If you can come
1: down from all that stress, then when you finally take your seat and turn on the video monitor, perhaps for some of us, the emotions just come flooding out.
6: Uh, rushing to the airplane, then perhaps... Someone else is sitting on your seat or you you do have problems uh, with your luggage and the storage of your hand luggage. Uh, Then you're sitting in the plane, perhaps the plane is delayed. Uh, You have a specific amount of alcohol. uh, And this all may be factors contributing and uh, leading to the result. You have stress before... Departing, But you are quite relaxed when flying, so you have more time uh, to feel your emotions.
1: Back in Colorado, Dr. DeLuca spends a lot of time thinking about all the reasons why we might feel a little off on a flight. She agrees it's not just one thing. It's a combination of everything going on. And it starts for some in the days leading up to a flight
2: automatically thinking a lack of control over the environment, thoughts of impending doom. I have a lot of people who have anxiety and panic who we try to stabilize right before a trip. So it's also known as catastrophic thinking. There's increased stress in the body's production of cortisol, the stress hormone, and the fear of never returning to loved ones. For a lot of people, the thought of being confined to a small space. So if they're claustrophobic, yeah, that's, that's a given. But most people just don't like being in that closed space or the encroachment of our physical space and boundaries by other people that are right on top of us. And there's the mental and emotional fatigue, which automatically disinhibits our emotional regulation. In other words, we don't have that mental and emerg- uh, emotional energy to regulate our emotions that we normally would have because the body's already in preparation for fight and flight. The evolutionary defense mechanism that makes us alert for survival reasons.
1: She also hears from patients who talk about not just anger or stress, but that sadness, like they're getting in touch with their emotions in a way that they can't or don't on the ground.
2: The physiological aspects of the brain, which affect our behavior and mood, are over, let me say, um, well, they're in the fight and flight. So there's a sense of dehydration, fatigue, stress, that immobilization of not being able to go anywhere, and also depending on how long the trip is, a lack of activity. Our circadian rhythms change when we're in the air, especially if we're crossing time zones. And there's a lot of environmental influences that we're not even aware of, such as the altitude in general. We don't like, oh yeah, I'm 28,000, you know, Uh, miles above sea level or whatever temperature diet digestion the fuselage air quality all of these things affect us our whole body and the brain chemistry which then makes us more emotionally vulnerable
1: and if life on the ground is a particular challenge for some of us it can get even
2: harder in the air even those that have a history of violent and aggressive behavior will especially have difficulty regulating their their emotions and may behaviorally manifest as such more easily because it's difficult to regulate when you're in the air in the airplane under all of those conditions that I talked about for most of us and unfortunately, some of the behavioral manifestations are are dangerous, others are benign like crying at a comedy or laughing at a murder mystery.
1: And this really is science, brain science.
2: We know as, as clinicians that it's the limbic cortex, the paleomammalian complex that's activated and working overtime because there's so little control over our environment. And we are basically in that evolutionary fight and flight that we're designed to, we go into survival mode when there is an actual threat, but when there's also a perceived threat. And that is why that if you talk to most of us in the field of psychology or even just specialists in neuroscientists, neuroscience, they'll tell you that with the pandemic, we are all, all working off of fight and flight. We are all hypervigilance, whether we consciously accept that or believe that or not. It's everything has been happening in the backdrop of a pandemic, a very serious pandemic that has affected the whole world. Now, with that said, that's working in the background and our lives changed overnight, right? Everything, especially here in the United States, I mean, we are very privileged and all of that almost overnight was taken away. Things changed like we never imagined in our lifetime. And then you add on to it, an environment that we have little control over anyhow, it's going to produce the most aberrant or most vulnerability in individuals.
1: Mix in some alcohol and you're left with a messy mix of human behavior.
2: $15,000,
3: that's how much the FAA wants to fine a violently drunk Delta Airlines passenger who
2: forced an emergency landing in Salt Lake City. His bad behavior included urinating on the bathroom floor. It disinhibits the frontal lobes the higher cortical functions of our brain, which tell us, you know what, you don't do that. You don't go and attack or, you know, you don't try to enter or storm, the cockpit door uh, of the plane, or you don't tell the guy next to you to stop coughing or I'll knock your head off. So with the alcohol, we become totally disinhibited. So we don't have the ability that we need to regulate behavior and emotion that's already compromised even without the alcohol.
1: Long story short, now that we're getting to the end here, it's a whole stew of stuff going on. Our lives, our stress, and some people are not okay. This is Hope Ford. She's a reporter at WXIA 11 Alive in Atlanta, Georgia.
4: Our social skills are not the best anymore. And we've kind of, you know, there's there's a, you know, a lot of mental health that also plays into that and frustrations. Um, we're just looking at road rage, for instance. Road rage is huge, and it, it continues to escalate in Atlanta and really across the country because people just have short tempers now. And it really comes, you know, we talked to the police and it really came back on the police telling drivers, hey, just be courteous because you don't don't know who, you know, if that person next to you has just hit their final straw.
1: So let's say you're the good passenger, the one sitting peacefully, shoes and socks on, reading a book, minding your business. What do you think you'd do if things went awry?
4: You always think you know what you would do, and sometimes maybe you end up really doing less. Sometimes you end up probably, you know, doing more. I'm pretty sure that when that flight attendant was getting, you know, punched in the face and her teeth were knocked out, that guy had no intention of getting on a plane and then having to intervene and go up against the, you know, get in between two women um, fighting. And, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, when you watch the Delta video, for instance, there were probably two or three men who were already trying to get this passenger down before, you know, several others just jumped in because they were like, you know, we need to help. So uh, it, it, you always wonder what you what you might do. And um, I think about that sometimes too. Of course, I definitely just don't want to be in that situation.
1: <laughs> and outside of those extreme situations, Dr. DeLuca says the best we can do is act like an adult.
2: You know, you have to be responsible for your own behavior. If you know that sitting next to somebody or you're in that great middle seat and you are feeling confined or claustrophobic or the guy or gal next to you is coughing, you have to be aware of what the triggers are that set you off. And it's your responsibility to act in a way that's socially appropriate. That doesn't always happen.
1: So, as we wrap up this first season of Strangeville, we leave you with this advice, especially for those of you on the way to the airport.
5: When you walk on an airplane, understand that your crew is highly trained and they will save your life if needed. They will get you off a burning airplane if needed. Um, They care deeply about your safety and all they want is respect and, uh, and, you know, just remember just the basic kindness and say please and thank you.
1: (laughs) Strangeville is a Vault Studios production. Our writer and producer is Reed Redman. Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland mixes and edits the show. Executive producers are Brian Weiss and me, Will Johnson. Until next time, happy traveling and be kind. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.